Welcome back, everyone, to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beery. It's been quite a while, I think, since March, since we've been on the show. For those who actually listen to this, when it somewhat comes out, quite a bit is, I guess, happened in the world. 2020 has been like eight years rolled into one. And even though I quit recording remote, I figured, hey, it's going to be until probably quarter two if I kept that up. So here I am online with Dr. Freddie Ost from Sweden. So, so we're, I mean, we're remote remote because I'm here in Omaha, Nebraska, which is not near Sweden for those of you who know. <laughs> you just go by Freddie, Frederick, Ost, Dr. Ost. Freddie, Freddie's fine. All right, Freddie, and you are with SNASC. Yes. Um, an agency there. And, and I think we actually met uh, about four years ago in Atlanta back in May of 2016. Mm-hmm. You guys were playing the the Nina Paper Die Line show in some basement of of some like unmarked building. I think there was a <laughs> there was a speakeasy right above you that that the Die Line party was going on in, and then and then after that was kind of ending. Then Nina was throwing a party, and 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 you guys were you guys had a rock band there. Exactly. We also spoke at the how how event that was earlier on the day or the day before. I can't remember. But yeah, it was uh, really, really fun. Yeah, those events kind of run in when he said he can't quite remember. I, I, it, it takes a while because so much happens. Um, so, so let's talk about your band. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you guys got a full rock and roll band there, right? And you guys your own record label. How that? How that yeah. come about? Well, basically, uh, so Eric, my partner in crime of Snask Agency, is a drummer. And he's been touring, touring with different constellations in Europe. And uh, he had this rock band that was not very good. They had a shitty name and so on. So uh, they, I, on my, I can't remember which birthday it was, I told the singer in the band that, hey, you should fire your trombonist. We should change your name and uh, yeah, everything. Change your style of music. Uh, and he said, well, you can do that if you pay me two and a half thousand bucks. Uh, and I said, yeah, sure. But we were drunk. I don't have that kind of money. But the next day, he called me up and said he regretted him. He re- regretted everything. And I told him, like, well, I got your signature in blood. But then we were like, well, tell you what. What if we start a record label and then we sign you guys, but then we want to still fire your trombonist. We still want to change your name and your style of music. And they were all super like professional, good musicians who've been touring Europe in different constellations as well. So we were like, it's, this should work out really good. And so we started a record label and we signed them. And uh, that was basically how it came about. Now, did you have a background in music before that? Or are you like, hey, anyone can start a record label? Uh, well, I didn't have a, that much of a background, but what I did was I used to play records, uh, which is called that you're DJing, but what you basically do nowadays is that you choose songs and you put them on. But And also I, I, I organized a lot of like concerts back in the days. I'm useless in, in, in playing music. Um, but I mean, yeah, but we do also have, I have a, what you say, attitude that you don't really need experience in anything. You can just start it yourself if you have the right attitude. So we basically just decided to start a record label and yeah, we changed the name of them. So they were first, their name was something really bad, like Circus Europe or something. And we renamed them into Road 
like driving on a road, like a blues rock band on the road. And then we brought in a, a famous producer and he wanted them to sing in Swedish. And then we were like, let's just translate road from English to Swedish, which means becomes vag. Oh, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't think about it uh, because we're Swedish. We were like, oh, means uh, this is what it uh, means in Swedish. And then when we when we launched the first album, uh, we got a lot of uh, T-shirt um, orders from California. Yeah, and one girl, well, one girl even came by uh, because it's a seventies logo as well. She came by our office in Stockholm and she was there touristing, and she bought like twenty of them. We were like. Wow, you like really like our band. She was like, "Well, band is all right, but the t-shirt is amazing." <laughs> and then she kind of helped us understand that the name of this four-piece rock and roll band with long-haired, bearded guys was named Batch in in English. Yeah, and then after that, they've been in in playing in South by Southwest in Texas, they in Austin, Texas. They've been playing, yeah, in at How. They played in New Orleans. They played in South Africa, Colombia, all over Europe. So it's, yeah, it's very, they've been all over the world, uh, almost except for Sweden, where the name makes sense. Yeah, no one, no one cares about the name Road. Like that, that's just, that's no. boring. So Exactly. <laughs> when you say that you don't really need experience, you just kind of do things, I guess that leads us to what you actually do is, is design. And, and in that mm. case, a lot of us, yeah, you just made it up as you go. Mm-hmm. So what, what, and, and you didn't even have a background in design either. You just made that up, right? Right. Wasn't your background in psychology? <laughs> well, I did have a background in psychology, but then I did study three, four years at university in graphic design. My last three years was in, in, in England, in the UK. And, uh, but we did start up the agency with zero experience from the business. So basically we did our internships in New York and London, and then we were going to start up our agency and people told us hey you need 10 years of experience in the industry before you can start your own agency but then we kind of thought but then we will get like old like theories and methods we will get the experience that no one ever questioned uh, let's just start up our own thing instantly make all the mistakes ourselves and then if we survive we should uh, have a method that we came up with ourselves like solutions to problems that we think is is the right ones and then 14 years later, here we are. What, what made you switch from psychology into design? I think it was uh, kind of connected. I did psychology. I did rhetorics, which is the art of convincing people, basically. And at the same time, I was DJing and putting gigs on. And then I was, someone had to do the flyers for the gigs and the website. So I did that. Uh, and then basically, I was just, well, maybe I should just start studying graphic design instead. And that's how I got into graphic design, basically. I will say, though, that, that you know, people hear that initially and they think that psychology and design have no relationship. But, but I think, I mean, I took, I think, one general ed class in college on it. And I, and I learned so much in there, even though I only half paid attention, because it's really about how people think and understanding mm. them, which, which when it comes to design, that's kind of what we're doing. Yeah, we're Exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, I was uh, for a long, oh, many years thinking like, oh, my first years at university was kind of wasted. But, but then when you like, yeah, when you think of it, psychology, you need to understand how other people think in order for them to, to receive a message and the message that you are sending, basically. 
and also rhetorics. I mean, convincing people is also what we do. And then thirdly, I think music and graphic design goes hand in hand a lot throughout history. So I think in, in, in many senses, a lot of experience that you gain, you can use as a graphic designer. Oh, there's a, I mean, there's so, there's, there's a, a long stories of artists designing their own record stuff and vice versa, people going into design and music. I think those are, those I think people understand the connection from, but I think there's as big of a one in psychology as there is to design as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. Hey, we're going to be right back with, with uh, Freddie from SNASK. Hey, welcome back, Freddie. How you, um, so, so I've been seeing you guys have been now starting to get into video production as well, because, because I guess record labels, psychology, design isn't quite enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that we, we had that, like after two years uh, working as an agency, we started to work a lot more with film. And during that time, we, we bought our first router and we didn't really know what Wi-Fi password to put in. So someone just put in badminton. And since then, badminton has uh, figured been a big name now, around us without knowing not why. Now, now is badminton? Does that translate into Swedish as something like a penis, or am I missing that, or or is it still the same <laughs> no. thing? Okay, it's still the same thing. Yeah, I, I'm just it's wondering if all sport. of a sudden I'm gonna I'm gonna go over to Europe someday and everyone will be wearing badminton shirts and I'm like the one nodding on the joke because we're all wearing road shirts exactly. over here. All right, exactly. <laughs> No, 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 no. You will be safe. I promise you that. All right. Uh, so, yeah. So, basically, badminton was a big thing. And then, yeah, we, we, we do a lot of films for Klarna, for Spotify, for a lot of different clients nowadays. But we also do our own things. And so, we decided now, after 14 years, to finally make a film about badminton. Uh, and it's basically the team of Snask playing badminton against a big yellow chicken, basically. And we released this online, and it just became... A huge hit so the badminton world federation shared it and it got over like 100,000 views and 600 shares and some fans of badminton were upset that we didn't take it seriously some people uh, some fans loved it we got emails from the coach of sweden we got emails from pro pro badminton players who loved it so it was a big fun thing that just happened we yeah we didn't expect that now, did you or the chicken win? That's the first thing I have to know. Like, like, did the yeah. Snask, did they beat the chicken or was the chicken like a ringer? Was, was it in the, the federation here? First, the chicken won. And then we had to go back to the drawing board and realize that teamwork is what we're doing. And after that, we, uh, we kind of gain momentum by doing things as a group and a team. And then we win. And where do people go to see this uh, this this flick? Do they just follow you on Facebook, or do they go to your YouTube? You can. They can go to our YouTube. They can go to our website. Find it. And it's that's, just that's it's just snask dot com. S n a s k dot com. Yeah, exactly. S n a s k dot com. Yeah, s n a s k dot com. And and what does and what and I have to ask then what does that translate into? Like I assume that is that a real word or is that something that that you made up for the when you when you started your business. No, that was when we started up the business. So uh, we basically were looking for a word that no one knew in English because, uh, as I said, we, we wanted to start up in London or New York. Uh, so we, we came up with uh, snask, which is a Swedish old word. 
uh, for candy, filth, and gossip. So candy oh. as in candy, filth like porn, and gossip as in gossip. So it's a very strange word, and no one really likes it in Sweden. So, I mean, you can almost hear it. It's snasky. You can almost hear what it means, even though you don't know Swedish. But then when we came up with that name, we realized that everyone is moving back to Sweden, of our friends. So it started up in Sweden, and here everyone knows what it means. And that, that is, a, that is a, weird, uh, a weird mixture of words. because, And I can see why people don't necessarily want to use it, because you don't quite know someone's intent when they're saying that. Exactly. <laughs> Hey, I've got uh, a bunch of snask in my car. I mean, that's either like get away from me, or or hey, you want you want a gumdrop? Exactly. It could, yeah, or it could just be that you want want to give them a lot of gossip. But yeah, for sure, you kind of need to to know that person and those that person's intent. Uh, if that, yeah, if someone uses that word. And what's next? Uh, what are you guys working on right now? I mean, I mean, obviously, are you guys? How is how is uh, I guess we have to ask because it's it's all anyone's been talking about all year, but how has the, the situation in, in 2020 been affecting your agency and what, what changes have you made because of it? I mean, in the beginning, uh, we were like super worried that it would be huge changes. Uh, but then, first of all, we got in a huge branding project for a major financial player. That, so that was like pretty strange, but also, of course, they've been planning to do it for a long time. And... It was in March, and that's basically when it, everyone started to realize that it was something big. So we never got to meet them in person, but we finished the whole project in four months without ever meeting in reality. That was kind of strange, but we learned a lot. But then also, like Spotify and Klarna, for example, two of our clients, they made it really well during the corona period because people had a lot of time listening to to Spotify and paying online shopping online basically using Klarna so those companies only went better so I mean we're, we're just now delivering uh, some final pieces for Klarna for example but I mean of course some of them some clients I think never contacted us and we we, we won't know about it but we we noticed that yeah some uh, there was some decline in in requests for sure I think I think that's common. Every you know, it'll it'll be interesting when this is over when we all talk about, you know, look back on this, maybe we'll just forget this year existed. Or maybe maybe I think some of these things will be more accepted. Obviously a lot of places I know are just now working from home and they're gonna and they just said, you know, this works well, we're gonna work from home forever. Mm. Um I don't know how, how that's changed with your team if if you guys do more remote or you're planning on that in the future. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, no one, no one has to work from the office, and I think there's mostly one or two people there, and all, everyone else is working from home. Uh, we did that during, of course, um, March and April and May, June, and then I think July, August was more back to normal, September, but then, yeah, Corona hit again, uh, so now we're back home again. But yeah, I do think that uh, everyone is affected. A lot of our clients, like Spotify, closed down their headquarters until Christmas already in spring. I know Nike closed down all their headquarters instantly until Christmas as well. And I think they were kind of right because everyone who opened now have had to close again. So I think, but I think that we realized that you can work remotely and it does work. Yeah, there are also now tools that make it possible to work remotely and a lot of like services have been developed. I mean, they said in Sweden that 
to teach uh, pensioned people in Sweden how to grocery shopping and shopping their medicine online would take like six months. But with Corona, it took two weeks. It's insane. So yeah, a lot of change happened. And I guess it shows how much the technology is there, how people can adapt very quickly, which which is, I guess we should know that as designers, that people can adapt and that messaging can be be changed, but we never think about it until we have to. No, definitely. How did it affect you guys over there? We've been working remote since this started. I actually started coming back to my office maybe two months ago, but for like one mm-hmm. or two days a week, but I'm the only one here. There's no one else in, yeah. the, in, in the office building. So the other guy that works with me, he's been remote since it started. And and I guess we just have to do Zoom calls. We, we, do a, we do a call like once a week for like half an hour to make sure that we're on the same page. For And that's kind of it. It's just scheduled. And then everything else is email and text. I guess most of my work has always been, I mean, the majority of my work has always been website work. And so that's always kind of remote. Like clients don't really have you come in for that. They just kind of expect that they email you and then you email them back or call. I guess the other thing it's told me is how little I actually probably saw my clients in person. Like (laughs) I started to realize, you know, I think I was three months in on this and I was like, oh, I haven't had any in-person meetings in like three or four months. And, And it didn't seem abnormal because it's, it's, I guess it was more common than I thought. Yeah. So, but, but, but otherwise I, I don't, I mean, it's just weird. I don't, I don't know anyone yeah. who, who thinks this is, you know, normal, but no, we're all trying to make it through. Yeah. And I do think that there will be things that will never go back to the way it used to be. And in some way, I think that maybe it was good that our, that we had to learn how to work remotely as well, because this was a, this was a real exercise in that. Uh, and uh, if this happens again, we will all know how to handle it. So I think that that's good. And also I think that for health, it's, it's probably good that companies understand that we can have people working from home and it still works. We still trust them. They still deliver. And I think that could, uh, that could create a more balanced work life. It also, it also changes where, where you can work. You know, a lot of places, um, you know, one of the drawbacks here, I mean, I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, which if you're familiar with the United States is like in the middle, we're in the middle. And so a lot of, a lot of Omaha, one of the drawbacks is, is, well, we're not near one of the coasts, but I, I think that if everyone's working remote, maybe that's less important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And I mean, for us working with a lot of US clients and clients all across the globe, it's it's always a question. I mean, we had a South Korean client, she flied over all the way from Korea to do a workshop of five hours. Uh, now uh, now we if it was today, we would have just like, no, you don't have to. We can actually do this via mural uh, online. We can do this workshop online instead. But back then we were like, no, it's not possible. We have to meet to do this workshop. But I think yeah, I think a lot of things change. Yeah, and I and I'm looking forward to eventually meeting in person again because there's things that you get from going to conferences like seeing you know some vag band in the basement of some bar in Atlanta <laughs> that, that make things worthwhile. Exactly. All right, we're gonna be right back with Freddie.
So, Freddie, back when we met in 2016, you you immediately became my enemy because that's what you do. <laughs> and you're even wearing a Make Enemies shirt. I'm sure it's talking about our our arch nemesis that we've had since for the last four years, back and forth. <laughs> so, what's what's with what's with the apparel here? Well, we basically decided to create a fashion line that had base, uh, statements, uh, not basement, statements uh, of ours printed on top of them. And also in the neck, uh, there's a long tag with our, basically our manifesto that we believe in. So we have a pink Make Enemies uh, sweater. It's currently the big sale, sailor, seller. Uh, we also have a pink lice knitted sweater. We have a, a pink tiger shirt. Um, so it's it's a lot of we have some bags and stuff like that uh, and uh, yeah we're we're launching this uh, in hope of spreading our message of what we believe in. In your in your message that you believe in is making enemies. Make enemies and gain fans is basically our view of branding. So basically, we think that you need opinions and you need to stand up for them as a brand or even as a private person. And if you today, two thousand and twenty, if you stand up for your own beliefs and you vocally share them, you will get enemies. But you will get the right kind of enemies, and you will also gain fans, real fans, that actually care about your brand and that not just scroll past, they actually stop, they like, they share, they tag, they comment, and it's called engagement. And a lot of brands pay a lot of money for engagement, but yet they don't dare to say anything that would create an enemy. The only thing they would have to do is just stand up for something that you believe in and can deliver on, and you will get enemies, but you will also get real fans. I think I think people are they're they're obviously scared that they're going to get negative feedback. You know, people don't want that. But I always go back to the, you know, there was a, I forget I forget what it was on, but I was reading a thing about the band Kiss. You know. Mm-hmm. And how they, and at the time they weren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and someone was trying to make the point that they should be. And their point was not everyone likes this band. A lot of people hate this band, but mm-hmm. the people who like it, they love the band. Mm. And they're saying, and they're like, that's why they, they, they should be acknowledged because it's harder to get 10 people to love you than a thousand people to like you. For sure. But you get yeah. enemies, but you also get haters in that. Yeah. I mean, Tiber Common said, when you make something no one hates, no one loves it. And I couldn't agree agree more. I think Winston Churchill said, you have enemies? Good. That means you stood up for something sometime in your life. I think that it's like even more today than 10 years ago, we see brands that start to take, take stands for, for things they believe in. I mean, of course, it's nothing worse when a brand just takes a stand without actually giving a shit. But I think that it, it, it hits them right back in the face if they do that. And I do think that if a company stands for something and don't deliver on it, they will be called out by, by people now. I think it's, it's just a good thing. Yeah, and, it's, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I do love the sentiment. And it's not necessarily to make enemies just because you're being provocative or something. It's about, it's about making enemies because you're, you're actually trying to make people understand your point. Exactly. I mean, it's a very easy to remember tagline more than it's a good description of what we mean. And like you say, but yeah, for sure, we don't want people to just go out and be provocative without the reason. Uh, we want people, but we do want people to have opinions and voice them. How do you how do you convince your client that hey, we're gonna we're gonna do something that has a strong opinion on it, or is it something that they need to bring up to you, or do you have to push them into? You need to maybe push this part of your brand. 
basically we the last thing is that push their part of the brand i mean what we do is normally a workshop in the beginning where we push them and just set up values and limits for them and then we ask them like are you fine with this they're like most often yeah we're fine where we are here and then we just drop a line well here comes a competitor that is younger cooler and care more about values and they are more provocative they are probably more playful and they are more uh what do you say uh they they have more enemies but they have more real fans and real engagement and then normally the client will be like well probably we should be more provocative probably we should be more playful and then they start calculating the risk of of not being playful enough and i think that it's always like who who wants change and everyone is like yeah me and it's like who wants to change and then no one raises their hand anymore and that's a big thing in, in companies and brands as well it's like you say it's easy to say you want this or that but then you start risk minimizing and in the end you 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 end up like nah no nowhere then that's when you need to push it at least your brand because it have to be coming across to the to the viewer and actually people don't really give that much of a heck about the brand anymore i mean if your product or serv- your product or service today need to be perfect if people go to a restaurant and it's as good as they thought they go out and they're happy maybe they instagram about it but if it's really bad they will do a review they're going to be like this service was so bad today i'm going to do a review so that means that people the people expect the best of every product and service today and that means that do the best you can with the product and service but build a lifestyle around your brand don't build your brand on your product and services only build your brand around lifestyle about something else that is bigger like oatly the oat milk they they launched war on milk and started talking about the war on milk basically and how it's not good for the environment and they didn't have to do that it doesn't have to do with their product like it's not their product it's something else but it it set them really high on the brand uh, as a brand a lifestyle brand makes sense so who else who else do you think has done a good job at, at, at making enemies as you call it i mean i think nike always been i mean they are such a big brand so i mean a lot of people might not think it's it's cool enough but i mean to be so such a big player and still stand up for black lives matter or choosing the faces of, of their like the icons of nike being people that are disregarded or i can't remember the name of the football player american football player who kneeled colin the, kaepernick yeah they, they chose him as a the face they took um the what is his name rapino the lesbian football player soccer player as their face and i mean it's they they are are, are kind of fearless in a way and they're like well if someone doesn't like our values then don't buy our shoes and they are huge i think loads of brand could do that uh, but yeah yeah when you say that they are i mean they're they're by far the biggest shoe company around here and yet they they actually still make a stand so so just because you're large doesn't mean you can't have values no because i mean it's easy to reason with your head like oh well mcdonald's just sell burgers why should they stand for anything they're just pleasing and then you can ask why the, why the hell not they should take a stand i mean they're the biggest player if they took a stand a lot of other companies would dare to take a stand it's just so strange that they actually don't and 
then you have Nike and you can just look at them. And I think that it will become much more brands like that. But you can have like also like Elon Musk smokes weed on national radio. <laughs> That's right. Tesla's, Tesla's, Tesla's stocks still go up. The car is still amazing. It doesn't really matter. It's like Klarna. I'm not sure if you know Klarna in the US, but they're a huge financial player in Europe and they're Swedish, but they choose Snoop Dogg as their investor and brand ambassador. And I mean, if the traditional Swedish banks would would go get together in a room and eat magic mushrooms, they could still not dream up or workshop up that the Klarna would choose Snoop Dogg as their ambassador, because in their mind, it's not trustworthy. No one is going to walk into your bank. And if you have, it's like the actual truth that people don't give a shit. If people are like, oh, found that Snoop Dogg is Klarna's new face. And where was I again? Oh, I'm going to borrow some money from Klarna and check out and buy this thing online. I mean, it's so like conservative to think that and banks are actually being, what do you say, uh, picked apart by all these new startups that, that, picks them apart and just modernize things. I mean, it's amazing to me that, that, I mean, Snoop Dogg is, is the face of a lot of things now. Like the whole world has changed over the last 25 years. Yeah. And, and you can't, can't think like when I got into it, obviously um, when I got into design, people were, the, the big thing was, is there were agencies that if you had like a tobacco company, you were all proud about it and you're happy, but yeah. you could not, <laughs> but you could never do like any, anything, with marijuana because you'd be like out of business. And now yeah. over the last 25 years, it's the opposite. I mean, I'm assuming that there's agencies out there that do tobacco work, but I don't see them promoting it. No. And then, but, but everyone pentagram over here is like promoting that they're working with, you know, tobacco or with, with marijuana companies. That's, that's just, mm. that's like now like the first thing on their, on their pages. Yeah. 25 years ago that here in the States, that would have never happened. So, so things change. Yeah, definitely. Well, Dr. Freddie, I appreciate you very much coming on the show and, and speaking and, and hopefully we'll, we'll meet in some basement back alley bar in Atlanta or something sometime in the future. Yeah, thank you for, for letting me come to the show. It was amazing to speak to you. And yes, I will call you out on that basement bar thing next time I'm in Atlanta. <laughs> or we, see you, we can see you at the conference somewhere else. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, and this year I know the how conference went virtual. You know, yeah. I, I I saw some online people were talking about it. They had they had a great great experience. I I was not in not involved this year, but I hope hopefully I'll be back and and get to attend a conference here again sometime soon. Who knows? So, exactly. all right. Well, hopefully I think we'll be back virtually on the show for in a couple of weeks. So I appreciate everyone tuning back in if if you still found us, and we'll see you soon. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Murray is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab. This will probably go out probably in like uh, in a week. I just got to, yeah. I just got to, I don't really edit. I just slap some music on the front and then post the thing up and call it good. So I'll send you yeah. an email when it, when it does. Sounds great. So I hope Do you want me to send you a Vag song that was played in the basement? Oh, that'd be great. You I'd love choose, it. Yeah, you can choose if you want to put it on or not. I, I have one in English that could be fun uh, to play okay. because people actually might recognize if they were there. I don't know. Okay. 
Yeah, I think that was a that was a crazy night. I think if I remember right, we were at a, we were we were having a drink at the hotel bar before we went because I was going with the Nina people because I was blogging for him. And I think we saw James Victoria over in the corner and mm. he like just drinking himself. And so I went over to say hi and he was like, You can come sit with us if you want. Cause I'd I he'd been on the show and stuff, and I'd met him a couple years before that and stuff. So he came over and we're talking, we're like, Hey, we're going to this event, we'll take you with us. So then I think <laughs> so he's like, oh, all right, I'll go with you. So yeah, we drug him along to that party too then. Yeah, James is a legend. We met him uh, several times. We were in Denmark once and Jessica Hish, uh, Snask and, and James Victoria. And then we were up first and since we're Swedish and back then we didn't really understand that fuck is a bad word. We basically just used it as to emphasize words because we're bad in English. So we, after we, we went up, uh, Jessica went up and said like, well, that was the most fucks I've ever heard in a, in a, in a conference uh, <laughs> ever. So I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to try and, and, and beat it. And then she asked, went crazy uh, and it's a Danish audience so they don't really care either they're like thinking yeah. thought it was funny and then of course James came up after her and like hmm I won't be any worse and then he just went crazy and then the, the four of us just went out in Denmark and had a party it was super fun oh uh, man yeah um, yeah I think that's one of those things too where it depends on your crowd certain people around here they don't care at all you know you can just just cuss away and others others they just get so offended immediately it's it's weird. Yeah, so. very weird. Must be it. Must be the snask yeah. of the English language. Exactly. So. The snask of the English language. Yeah, exactly. Okay. No, but we also had. Remember, we had Debbie Millman, and we had uh, Kid Ship Kid. Uh, we had Aaron Draplin. We had. We had a lot of like uh, people behind the DJ booth. In, oh, in I was. Basement. I think I'm I was not sure when if you went down or. No, I was, I was, I had to go out there early because we, um, I was helping Nina do, do a little bit of setup and stuff. So mm. I went to the event beforehand. I think there was food upstairs for the, there was a small party up there. And then when he yeah. opened it up to the larger one downstairs, then, um, I think I was in the DJ booth for a little bit while Chip and, uh, or, um, yeah, Chip Kid and Debbie Millman were in there. Yeah. So, and, and I, yeah, that was, that was a, that was a crazy, crazy night. Yeah, it was so much fun. It was like people were crowd surfing. I was like, I've never seen a graphic design party, people crowd surfing. It was like, yeah. that was so much fun. I remember the director of How was up and I told him like, you have to play five songs in the DJ set, they'll help you. Uh, he had so much fun up there as well, yeah. You, you mentioned, you'd mentioned like DJing used to be more hands-on like when you did it, you probably had to actually put things down. But I remember, because I saw that in the booth, they just had like a computer monitor and you just literally clicked a button and you could select what song to go into next. And I think, yeah. And I think it even helped you. Like it knew like what songs would go into other songs right away. Like if you needed to, because there's a, I know there's a, was beats per minute and stuff. You, you can't just exactly. go from. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely easier if you have it digitally because you can just read the beats per minute on every part of the song with a vinyl player you have to sit and count the beats yourself and pre-listen is so much harder so yeah way easier to us it's basically us choosing a song and put it on yeah the only other time i think i'd been in a dj booth was i had a client that had a club this was so long ago and they they were on cds but it was someone who'd been a dj for a long time and so she was 
she knew immediately like this songs works with these songs and goes into these. And then when she switched out, she went to the next DJ. I've played this, 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 it's playing this, here's the beats we've been doing. And, and it was like, it was almost like a foreign language to, to <laughs> someone who not into the music, like into the DJ scene. Yeah, for sure. It's uh but what, I mean, once you learn the technical side, it's so much fun. It's like, you just, you can just have so much fun with it. It's yeah, it's good. Good things. All right. Well, I might use this outtake too at the end, so we'll see. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Freddie. Great, man. Thanks, Donovan. I'll, I'll email you a song. Oh, I'd love it. Yeah. So if, if yeah. you guys hear this music, it, it may or may not be SNAS coming in. So the rest of our music was actually had put together by Steve Gordon, who uh, actually is a designer. He's a huge in the house scene. He actually lives just a few blocks from my office, but he was a DJ for a while as well so he would he would understand all that language way better than i would so he he originally helped us set up when we did this podcast because i don't do sound he helped us with a bunch of sound questions which which was great great. so yeah what little of our show sounds good is is thanks to his advice and and the rest of it is that doesn't sound good is based on my amateurness even after 15 years of doing this so (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Freddie. I'll see. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, man. Okay. Talk soon.